Howdy, everybody. The following is a recorded discussion with Chaplain Raymond, our Attorney General for the Republic State of Texas. We have been going over a book called The Authority of Law by Charles A. Wiseman. Today we are in Chapter 6, the last of Chapter 6, before we start an actual court case. We are going over error versus usurpation. Hope you enjoy. Okay, today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2011, March 3rd, 2011, and we're viewing the Republic Keeper's email from the March 2nd, leading us into today's session on error and versus usurpation in the authority of law class that we've been taking. Now let me first cover uh, today's maximum of law. Jurisdiction is a power introduced for the public good on account of the necessity of dispensing justice. the it, We could expand on that. Dispensing justice in an orderly fashion under rule of law as contrasted with vengeance or any feud. Now, jurisdiction is a word that is made up of two Latin terms which you can think of as juris is law, diction is words. So when we're talking about whose jurisdiction or what jurisdiction, uh, I have a lecture that is talks about whose words do you listen to and that is whose law words apply. And that's what we mean when we talk about jurisdiction. Now today, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday in the Authority of Law book on page 46 on error versus usurpation. Now, these become somewhat esoteric in their uh discussion or trying to master and understand. So it's not very long as far as the reading is concerned, and let's try to make sure we all understand this before we get away from it today. Error versus usurpation. To better understand why this must be an issue of subject matter jurisdiction, we need to understand the powers and limitations placed upon a court by fundamental law. Now this isn't just legislated law, this is fundamental out of the common law and the usage and custom. The jurisdiction of a court is in essence its authority to hear and decide. But a court or a judge is in actuality a human agency, and as such, is liable to make a mistake or error on some issues he decides. All of history is replete with examples of such error occurring. It is universally recognized that a court which has proper jurisdiction has the right to be wrong in its judgment. 
has the right to be wrong in its judgment. The jurisdiction and authority to enter a judgment includes the power to decide a case wrongly. Jurisdiction, it is agreed, includes the power to determine either rightfully or wrongfully. It can make no difference how erroneous the decision may be. Jurisdiction to decide is jurisdiction to make a wrong as well as a right decision. It matters not how unconstitutional a law is. It matters now how much your rights are violated. It matters not how arbitrary government has been in violating due process of law. A court can rule against you and it is only regarded as error or a wrong decision. The judge can give the most incorrect, erroneous, or illogical decision, and it is binding until it is reversed by a higher court. The power of a court to decide includes the power to decide wrongly. An erroneous decision is as binding as one that is correct until it is set aside or corrected in a manner provided by law. It may be hard for many to accept this concept, especially in the light of the corrupt courts that exist today. But it would not be a problem if judges and other leaders were godly men as prescribed by the Bible. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, covetousness and place such over them to be rulers. There, is, there was a country that when a man was elected to office, he had to take an oath that he believed in God and believed in a future state of rewards and punishments. The spiritual condition of the nation has taken on an evil disposition which has a definite effect on the nature of the legal system. The result has been courts which defy the law of God, uphold unconstitutional laws, support abortion, allow property to be taken without due process, and make other wrong decisions. The key then is not to find the right law or argument to present in court, but to somehow remove the jurisdiction of the court so that the right to decide wrongly does not exist. Now this is the part. The but to somehow remove the jurisdiction of the court so that the right to decide wrongly does not exist. This can be done by showing that there are no valid laws charged against you because they do not have enacting clauses or titles. Without valid laws, there is no subject matter jurisdiction and any decision rendered is void. There can be no 
valid judgment, either right or wrong, without this type of jurisdiction. No authority need to be cited for the proposition that when a court lacks jurisdiction, any judgment rendered by it is void and unenforceable and without any force whatsoever. This is an extremely important decision. That's footnote 27. When you get your books, be able to go pick up that case and make certain you are able to cite it accurately. Where judicial tribunals have no jurisdiction of subject matter, the proceedings are void. Where subject matter jurisdiction does not exist, any bad, wrong, or corrupt decision is void. But if the jurisdiction, it, jurisdiction exists, a wrong or erroneous decision is only voidable by appeal. The test of jurisdiction is the right to decide, not right decision. Judgments of courts, which at the time the judgment rendered, had no jurisdiction, are absolutely void and may be attacked and defeated collaterally. That sentence threw me for a second. I apologize. Let me read that again. Judgments of courts, which at the time the judgments were rendered had no jurisdiction, are absolutely void and may be attacked and defeated collaterally. On the other hand, judgments of courts empowered to hear and determine issues related to the subject matters and persons, although such judgments may be illegal and wrong, are simply voidable and are not open to collateral attack. The only remedy to correct an error or illegal decision is by appeal. The judge of the appeals court also have the right to make error or be wrong and can thus support the illegal decision of the trial court. But if the trial court decision was void for lack of jurisdiction, it cannot be made valid by an appeal decision. Even though a void judgment is affirmed on appeal, it is not thereby re rendered valid. When jurisdiction is lacking, the court can do nothing except dismiss the cause of action. Any other court proceeding is usurpation. When, I'm going to repeat that. When jurisdiction is lacking, the court can do nothing except dismiss the cause of action. Any other court proceeds usurpation. Lack of jurisdiction and improper exercise of jurisdiction are vitally different concepts. Where the court is without jurisdiction, it has no authority to render any judgment other than one of dismissal. A judge or court may be in a legal sense immune from any claims that it is guilty of corruption because of its improper exercise of jurisdiction. 
However, it has no such protection where it lacks jurisdiction and the issue has been raised and asserted before judgment. Thus, when the lack of jurisdiction has been shown, a judgment rendered is not only void, but it is also usurped. Judgment in a fundamental is a fundamental prerequisite to a valid prosecution and conviction, and a usurpation thereof is a nullity. If excessive exercise of authority has reference to want of power over the subject matter, subject matter, the result is void when challenged directly or collaterally. If it has reference merely to the judicial method of the exercise of power, the result is binding upon the parties to the litigation till reversed. The former is usurpation, the latter error in judgment. The line which separates error in judgment and usurpation of power is very definite. Since the laws in use today are invalid on their face, it deprives the court of subject matter jurisdiction. For the court to proceed with trial and make a judgment or sentence after such a jurisdictional challenge has been made is simply an act of usurpation and treason. The importance of this material is that it forces the courts to either completely retract from enforcing corrupt and ungodly laws or it forces them to establish the grounds for revolution, usurpation, and tyranny. There is no right to commit tyranny or usurpation, and such acts can be disobeyed or resisted. The maximum law states, A judge who exceeds his office or jurisdiction is not to be obeyed. He who exercises judicial authority beyond his proper limits cannot be obeyed with safety or impunity. The judge cannot claim immunity to acts of usurpation, for the law does not recognize such acts. Thus, one cannot be punished for not obeying a judgment rendered by usurpation or want of jurisdiction. The rule is fundamental that where the court has no jurisdiction over the subject matter of the action, all proceedings in such action are void. The rule is likewise well settled that refusal to obey a board or judgment is not contempt. It should be stated in all fairness that an act cannot be really declassified as usurpation unless the problem is revealed and the judge warned of the situation. The American colonists knew that it was proper to first warn King George of his acts of usurpation and tyranny before they could take action against him. 
Up to now, judges have escaped being held accountable for committing usurpation or tyranny for using invalid law against citizens. If this is not pointed out and objected to, it is assumed the accused has acquiesced to the invalidity of the law. There must be notice and warning of it. It is often held that a void judgment or an act committed without jurisdiction can be attacked collaterally, which means it can be attacked differently from what the law usually prescribes, as one text writer explains. There are only two ways to attack a judicial proceeding. Direct. There, my, my mic just was said I was muted. Did anybody not hear some things? It's okay there now. Are only, there are only two ways to attack a judicial proceeding. Direct and collateral. Any proceeding provided by law for the purpose of avoiding or correcting a judgment is a direct attack which will be successful upon showing the error while an attempt to do the same thing in any other proceeding is a collateral attack which will be successful only upon showing a one of power. The American colonists at first attacked the usurpation and tyranny of King George directly with petitions and redresses. Later on, they attacked it in a collateral sense by force of arms and by proclaiming their independence from that government. However, no act or judgment can be attacked until it is understood how and why it is without power or authority. This material on authority of law can give the people of this land the right to attack the legal system and government. If one is asked to plead to the charges, it should be said that you can't plead at this time because you believe that the subject matter for the case is lacking and you choose first to submit a motion to dismiss on those grounds. The government may try to say that the laws in question were lawfully passed by the legislature pursuant to the Constitution. Technically, this can be said since laws like the ones in the revised statutes or U.S. codes were passed by the legislature, but this is not the issue. The issue is whether or not the large laws charged against you or laws like them were passed by the legislature or Congress, but rather that they did it in their current state as valid laws. Let me read that again. The issue is not whether the laws charged against you or laws like them were passed by the legislature or Congress, but rather that they don't exist in their current state as valid laws. That is, they fail to follow the valid form and style of a law due to the manner in which they are published or promulgated. If the court says 
that the authority for the law is the legislature, the reply should be, where is the legislating enacting authority for the law? The following is an example of a memorandum and a motion to dismiss due to the lack of subject matter jurisdiction. With this argument, you are not asking for the charges to be dismissed, since legally there are no, but rather that the cause of action be dismissed. And we are at the end. For the case. All right. Now the case is the next stuff that comes out, and it's 17 pages long. Now, um, Chaplain Raymond, I do have this down to three point something megabytes, so I can send that out in the email. But um, and I can do that today and let them have three days till Monday before we actually talk about it. If you'd like to do that. Well, I think that that sounds like a good idea to me. Okay. How about you guys? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Me too. You have used that it's going to go back to the reference, and you now have a formal. This is a an actual case. I mean, it looks like a case that went before a judge, and it gives you the chance to tie it all together and see how it works. And it is 17 pages long, but it uh, is there any problem that anybody could have? What if they have a dialogue? Does it just take a long time to download, Chuck? Well, is well, that what it is? Well, I am getting some messages back depending on people's uh, email application or something, but uh, some people cannot get any large file size, but I think most of this, all of these people online right now are able to get it. So. Okay. Yeah. But that size is... Uh, well, what, what do you think about... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Let's finish that discussion. I was going on. Yeah, that size um, is well under the, the limit that most people have, so I'm... Hopefully, everybody will be able to get it. So it's all one document. You unzip it, or do you when you get it, or no? Is that what it is? It's just one document. It's um, one PDF file that has all 17 pages in it. Okay. Yeah. That's easier to handle on your screen reading it. Yeah, it sure is. Or printing it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I hear. Uh, is there a move, is there a motion that we unanimously accept this and do it this, this way? A motion we accept it. I second it. No objection. So ordered. All right. So, what about the difference between error and usurpation? Who wants to be the first to explain the difference? Will does. Did Will raise his hand? <laughs> Is he there? Yes. yes. He is. 
<clears throat> error is when you smile, and usurpation is when you throw the chair at them. <laughs> well, it's, that doesn't sound very gracious to me. <laughs> We're not talking emotions. We're talking... Okay, does, did, does anybody have uh, difficulties making that distinction? When can an error occur? The moment he sits down. Yeah, anytime. Well, we're being, you're being. Uh, are there okay, let me any? take a chance okay, there. Go ahead. An error is something that is done unintentional. Usurpation is something that they did deliberately. Um, Am I close? Could be. Usurpation could be, is yeah. something that they didn't have a right to do. Excellent. Good choice. Yes. Okay. That's why it's referred to as tyranny or an act of, in one sentence in there, maybe war. You know, he used the word revolution. Hello? Was that someone making a comment or background noise? Might have been Timothy. Okay. Um, the error, remember, is when they have subject matter jurisdiction and make an erroneous judgment. Usurpation is when they didn't have subject matter jurisdiction and made any judgment. Okay. Is it is it does that help? Yes, it does. It's very, it's very, I don't know what the right word to put it. Is that subtle or is that esoteric? How would you describe that phenomena? Or in terms of logic, it's, um, now, they intend for errors to be, you know, corrected. The trouble with it in the commercial courts is, I have seen it where they make a point of letting you know you can appeal this. They made an erroneous judgment and tell you you can appeal this so that they have, they've done the gracious thing. They have not walked all over you. The trouble is filing the appeal can cost $40,000. So it's it's like it's cheaper to pay the sixty dollar no driver's license fine than to appeal it to reverse the error if you happen to have granted them jurisdiction. Now they can they can look act like you granted it. But in fact if, if you test it and they don't have it, you can't grant it or acquiesce. 
was that did that point come through in understanding this? In other words, every law that is written by a legislature must pointedly address and signify the subject matter. And they fully expect the title of the legislature to give you a hint. They don't expect a 2,600-page statute. The premise is, and the maxim is, not premise, the maxim is, that law that is there may, should have been 2,600 different laws. One per page. So that you can address each one directly. I'm talking about Obamacare with 2,600 yeah. pages. Is this, are these points, are you gathering these points? Are they difficult to understand or is it confusing? But I don't I'm think it's difficult, the, it's just a lot to absorb. Okay. Now, the legislatures, the legislators, and the senators, this is you know, advice. Make certain you understand the subject matter of each piece of legislation. Make certain that it's written so there is no doubt about the subject matter. So that people are not confused by it. And they can tell whether, no, that law don't apply to me. That's that's some other kind of subject matter. It also makes it easier to determine the authority granted by the Constitution that it's being promulgated under. Maybe the Constitution doesn't permit the legislator to have authority in that subject matter. So we talk about limited powers of the government, delineated powers of the government. It is identifying the subject matter about which they are free to uh, in write laws. Now, if it is a subject matter for that they have the authority to write laws, and if they have written a law, and if it's one that people could disobey, then the disobedience would be a and cause of action. Now, it, it all fits under that definition of crime, because that's where it all started with common law, but it was rights and remedies when they define the subject matter as being one they can rule over or, you know, promulgate laws uh, with regard to, then it is 
for the whole public, the body politic. Now, the body politic in our system has in their county compacts agreed that any valid law that has the proper authority and appropriate description of subject matter is a law that they would have had. So therein comes the ability to compel performance. And it's in, there'll come a point, I would think, if we all pay attention to our civic duties, where this will all come together and be a, a full picture, a total picture of what it's like to be a sovereign, have rights, have delegated powers to the legislatures, to have courts, know how to keep the courts in check and proper, and actually live a very fruitful and life of liberty. Does anybody get a glimmer of that in what we've discussed? Or does it look like living in such a system as we've been describing here is going to be turmoil and frustration? I think it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's the former, but it may take us a while to survive it. John, I think that my one way I, I I should would normally preface it if it weren't for this class, I'd say now there are things you have to learn to be able to grasp the significance of your responsibilities in this. It it is not it it is not a gift that just doesn't carry with it any you know, you just sit back and let the government dump. Well, that was the whole idea with it's, it's wrong now. Citizenship has no responsibility other than to vote and demand that the government take care of them. Well, then when they do that, they have given the government the power to define what taking care of them means. Yes. Whereas you say, no, we're going to take care of ourselves and we will delegate you certain things that you have the duty to serve and perform for us. And when you get the correct picture, you finally realize that going to work for the government is not an extension of your freedoms. People going out in the street as unions and trying to say, we have the right to boss the government. No, you don't even have the position unless the sovereigns establish. You go to work having a duty to serve, which you must do equally to anyone you confront. And then that's a little heavier trip, but the your duty to serve means equal protection. You treat no citizen sovereign any differently regardless of religion creed, color regardless you must treat them 
equally, equal protection under the law. The duty to serve. And when we finally get to where we have that ingrained and everybody understands that's the way it was in the beginning and we can keep it on track by keeping the sovereigns educated. Because no, I don't want, want a, I don't want a job in the government. There was a point in time where they were the they didn't get paid a lot of money. And it was really people who felt the the need to really contribute and be of value and honor their fellow sovereigns by serving. Now they get paid more money. It's like, whoa, this has gotten out of hand. That's the problem. Um, what did you say? I'm sorry. It, in my view, it amounts to bribery. In other words, the government has gained the power and effectiveness that it has because filtering all the way down the chain is money and power that has been distributed out and amounts to bribery. Yes, yes. I understand. Okay. Uh, I hear people's other activities beginning to take over. Um, Chuck, what's our schedule now? Well, um, I'm going to send out that case today. So we're not going to have class tomorrow for everybody online. Um, We'll just go ahead and have a class on Monday, and that'll give you three days to read over that case and pick it apart. How's that sound? Fine. Very good. Okay. And I think it's best, rather than just try to read it and handle it like we have these. The other papers, the other information was written by Charlton, and he orders his information well. This is a legal document meant to build a defense. So it's not written with uh, such a good flowing sentence structure. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so you need the time to really master it. Now, you intake, I would love to have the time to have all of the sites in this book copied and part of our working papers. Being in Austin, Texas, we have the benefit of the uh, UT School of Law Library, which is a multi-story building in and of itself, separate and apart from the other UT libraries. We set up a little project with the appropriate uh, purchase copy cards and go down to that library and uh, set up a little production line where we gather those sites and Xerox them and produce the actual words out of those cases so that you had the proper pieces of information to submit with a lawsuit. 
to, with a motion to dismiss. And it would probably produce a book about two inches thick. <laughs> probably. <laughs> which is, this is the way you educate the judges, though. When they know that there's that, we used to call it the weight of the evidence. Well, that weighs about a three pounds. How about a millstone of evidence? it's mostly court. <laughs> yes. Okay. So when we when we get through, we'll I will. Uh, I do not have the time. It would be a good job for me once I retire. But uh, sometimes you can find those books online. So, if there's no further comments... Curiosity. Once you're sovereign, do you ever really get to retire? <laughs> yeah, I started laughing when he said that. <laughs> Once you're sovereign, it, yes, you have a family and you have all the other things, but, but you, you see... There's other aspects to your sovereignty, which is, which I haven't even got into, which um, would not be appropriate. But let's just let me share something. As a, one of the things a sovereign can do is establish a law for his house, and literally publish a book. Uh, it would be the House Law of, of Rankin. And when he went to court, he could carry it into court and said, this is our law. <laughs> and if done in an appropriate way, you can cause it to be the law that is reviewed and which is adjudicated. Once you learn, once you get to that condition of sovereignty. Now... Once you start doing things like that, there's another area that you must understand, and it's called conflict of laws. Those both if sound like advanced courts. Your house laws and the other guy. <laughs> yes, they are, <laughs> and they are the ones that are used with uh, dispute resolution between sovereign states between England and Germany or England and somebody. Wow. Especially border disputes. The more I get okay. into this, the more I, I find out I don't know. Yes. Yes. Isn't that the way it is with everything? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> well, so we'll... Uh, We'll call it a day. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.